Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Hi, this is David Sachs with a special midweek podcast on love and raising up fallen love. If you'd like to be part of the Zoom talks that we've been doing, subscribe at TorahOnitunes.com. We'd love to make you a part of it. Okay, community. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited to uh, to be with you guys and say say some Torahs, God willing. Um, so you know what? It's in my heart to say the following before we before we plunge in, and I I, I really uh, consciously never never talk politics on 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 these. Uh, on these talks, um, because it's uh, this is just about connecting to Hashem wherever you are. But so, but I want to make a, a, a special exception um, and just uh, you know we put these talks on the internet and you never know who's listening. And so I just want to send out just uh, just giant blessings and, and and open hearts and and love to to all the people of the United Arab Emirates. And uh, it's just it's so good to be at peace officially. I think we've been at peace, but now officially. Um, Rabbi Green used to talk about this phenomena, which is that sometimes couples get engaged in secret and, and they, you know, it's like, don't tell anyone. He always said that was a bad thing. You know, it's like, if, if you don't want to scream it out to the world, there's something wrong. And so, you know, it's been great that we've been at peace, but now we're screaming it out to the whole world. And, and that's, that's fantastic. And I just, uh, I just know that great things are on the way. Great things are on the way. You know, I've been, I've been saying over for the last several months that a great light is coming into the world and that we have to make vessels to, to hold this great light because only good comes from God. And it's, um, it either manifests itself as what we normally call good or it manifests itself as destruction, which is because we don't have the vessels to hold this great light. And the sages teach that the greatest vessel to hold blessing is peace, is shalom. And so the fact that um, Israel, and when you say Israel, you're also talking about all the Jewish people all around the world, um, and the United Arab Emirates and, and God willing, more nations to come are making peace. This means that a wider vessel to hold the light is entering into the world and that we're seeing it, we're seeing it outright. And um, just wonderful things will, will will come from this, most certainly. Um, so so that's 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 my introduction, and I want to sort of continue with this theme. And um, I was I was inspired by the Shvili Pinchas, um, who who really focused this week on the on the uh, on the verse of uh, Sukkis. And, and how uh, that it's a time of great simcha, and that simcha is really the antidote to, to absolutely everything. And, and um, so simcha we will we'll translate as, as joy. And uh, a lot of people just sort of misunderstand like the mechanics of joy, why joy is actually so great, and how it's able to cancel out um, negative decrees from above, and why does it work so well? It brings blessing, it brings livelihood. Why, why is that the case? Um, 
So, so we're going to talk a little bit about the depths of joy and the, the healing power and the blessing power of joy today. Um, and, and let's just, let's just start off with what I think are some misconceptions about it. This is, this is taking what I would say is a, a very superficial understanding of joy. People think that joy means being in a good mood and that there's something forced to it and you know, um, I've got a big fake smile on my face, and and that's what we're going to call joy. And this is this is really not the case. It's joy is so much deeper than all of that. You know, there you can be joyous in a quiet way. You can be joyous actually without a smile on your face. <laughs> a smile on your face, by the way, is a good thing. You know, I, I remember as a kid, we we. We got this like calendar. It was like the greatest calendar in the world. It came with like stickers and there were like fun facts on like every single day of it. It was really, it was a treasure, this thing. And I remember seeing, and I don't remember really the the, the numbers. You can kind of look it up on the internet. You can find it out, I'm sure, in a couple of seconds. But when you smile, you're, you're, you're exercising two muscles on your face. And when you frown, <laughs> there's like... Two clusters of muscles that I, I don't know how many muscles, but it's a lot of muscles that you are actually exerting pressure and those that that pressure actually influences your mood negatively, negatively. And, and that the brain can be tricked to release endorphins, which are sort of like, you know, happy enzymes or whatever the biology of it is. But it says, oh, he's smiling. Release the endorphins, right? Open the gates. So you can actually trick your, your brain into releasing the, 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 the happy, you know, um, juice. But again, this is still, I don't want to say on a superficial level, that's already pretty deep, that you can actually jumpstart um, the biology of happiness uh, by acting happy. You know, so there is something to a smile, by the way. By the way, the sages are very big on smiles um, because they very interestingly teach that, you see, most people think my face belongs to me. This is private property. And yet, if you think about it on a deeper level, your face is like a billboard, right? And it's, it's in the Rishus Harabim. It's in the public area, your face. And so if you are frowning, you are literally vandalizing public property, <laughs> which, which, is, which is interesting. It, it, because a lot of people, you know, this is one of the ideas that joy is going to help us to understand how it's an antidote to all these things. But um, the idea that I am a separate entity and that I belong to me and that, that whole consciousness is, is very negative and ultimately very false. Because ultimately, all that exists is God. You know, I wasn't planning on, on reading this little short, I don't, I don't know if I want to call it a poem, maybe, maybe let's call it a short meditation. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But um, here it is. I, I have a little sort of like a commentary on uh, Descartes, okay? Uh, so here, here it is. Take me one more second to track it down. 
Okay, here we go. So Descartes uh, famously said, I think, therefore I am. Okay, so it's just a few lines. Here it goes. I think, therefore I am. Sounds good, except that I have a question. I think, therefore I am what? <laughs> By the way, that, that's my favorite part of the whole thing. I think, therefore I am what? Okay, back to the meditation. Since nothing exists independently from Hashem, the answer must be, I think because I am an emanation of Hashem. This must be the case because everything derives its life force from the one, the only one. Ironically, this also means that even if I don't think I am, because all that exists is Hashem. Okay, that's my little, that's my little, uh, prepared piece there. You know what I'm going to do? If, if anyone is interested, I'm going to cut and paste that and put it into the chat group, just in case uh, you ever want to refer to it. God willing, I'm, I'm collecting these things and I'm going to sort of put them out in book form at some point, but that's still uh, a work in progress. So here we go. That is now in the chat. Um, okay, good. So, so let's get back to joy. Let's, let's get back to the notion of joy. What is the power of joy? So joy expands your consciousness. And joy allows you to understand real, where you really are. Right? Can you imagine you're at a party and you think you're in like destitute in a cave? And then someone says, open your eyes, and you go, oh, I'm not alone in a cave. I'm actually at a party. But, but that requires opening up your eyes. So joy, so to speak, opens up your eyes. Joy tells you that you are existing within the expanse of God who is good and who loves you to pieces. That, that's what joy does. Joy turns on the lights so that you can understand the ultimate reality which is relating to you in the moment and never stops relating to you in the moment. Now, let's go a little bit deeper. And the, the passage for joy in Parshas Re'eh, it comes toward the end of Parshas Re'eh, uh, is actually connected to sukkahs and to the, to the sukkah itself. And that's because, um, well, appropriately, sukkahs is called Zman Simchasenu, the time of our joy. So, so what is it about Sukkot and joy that connect? Why does, why does Sukkot or the, the Sukkah, the, the structure itself, lead to this expansive consciousness of joy? And once you know the secret of this, you can have this all year long. So it's not just about um, only a, 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 a teaching for Sukkot. In fact, the Parsha that we read it on, it's not Sukkot. So, so that's telling you that this is true all year round, all year round. Okay. So what's the greatness of the Sukkah? And of course, everybody knows that um, a Sukkah is sometimes people sort of like, uh, in, you know, colloquially will we'll refer to it as a hut, you know? So it's kind of got like a hut-like status. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of got four walls, but we'll get into the details of that in a moment. 
And it's got to be temporary. And it's got a thatched roof, right? Just kind of um, leaves on the roof. And, and that's it. And, and the key to it is it must be a temporary structure. If you say to yourself, I'm going to make the best sukkah in the whole world. God's going to be so happy. He's going to love my sukkah. This, you know how good this sukkah is? It's going to last forever because I'm going to build it with bricks. Like, okay, that's already not a sukkah. It's not a kosher sukkah. Because a sukkah has to be temporary. And here's where we get into kind of like the the counterintuitiveness, which actually leads us to like a paradise. You ready? The temporariness of the sukkah is supposed to make me understand that my life and this entire world is temporary. Now, why is that counterintuitive? Because this is the time of my joy. But wait a second. <laughs> You're telling me that this whole world and myself are going to go away? That's supposed to make me happy? Yes. Yes. Why? Because you realize that this world is a gateway to the next world. My life in this world, your life in this world, all of our lives in this world are a gateway to an eternal life. A spiritual world, right? And, you know, I once put it this way, and I, I, I think it's like a good way to think about it. Each one of us, in our physical body, while we still have a physical body, we're like a rocket ship. And depending, like, you fill your rocket ship with fuel. And the more fuel you have in your rocket ship, the higher you blast off into the heavens. Now, what is fuel? Fuel are the mitzvot. So the more mitzvot you put into your rocket ship, your body, your, your physical life, the more at the end of your life, your soul blasts off into the ultrasphere. Okay, I just made that word up, but I like it. <laughs> so the, you're going to blast off into the ultrasphere, into the eternal realms. Can measure it in direct proportion to how much fuel you put into your rocket ship, which are the mitzvahs in this world. Okay. So, so that's why... The sukkah, which reminds us of the temporariness of, of this world, of life, is actually a cause of joy because we realize that there's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more. Okay. Now let's go deeper. Okay. Because I want to tell you the halachas of the sukkah. And by the way, before we go into this thought, just one of my all-time favorite thoughts, but Everyone should, this is like what we call a cash Torah. That's what Reb Shlomo would call these things. These are Torahs that you have to have in your pocket at all times, right? You know, you can't just like, oh, I think I wrote that. Didn't I hear that? No, no, no. It, it's got to be in your pocket. You've got to be able to say this over like in a moment's notice. That's how well you know it. Okay. So, so in my opinion, this is a cash Torah. I don't remember where I heard it, unfortunately, but, but here it is. So a lot of people think that, you know, so like I think the sort of like classic example is you go to someone's house for Shabbos. Let's say you're not observant at this point in your life, right? You go to someone's house 
for Shabbos and you experience Shabbos and you're like, this is awesome. You know, you, you see the family, you see that there's actually peace, like genuine peace, like between the parents and the children and there's respect and there's love and, and you, you feel something, your soul feels something, you're experiencing Shabbos, you know, which is a taste of paradise. By the way, I once asked Rib Shlomo, I asked him this, I said, you know, of all the mitzvahs, why, do you, why did you choose Shabbos to emphasize so much? And he said, because Shabbos is paradise and people need a taste of paradise. Right. So that's 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 what it is. And and we're going to see how true those words are as we understand the, the greatness of joy and, and go deeper into this idea. But um, but again, just to finish off the last slide, people think that, you know, so they, they, they taste Shabbos, they go to a Shabbos table and they go, I want more of this in my life. This is awesome. How can I have like this this energy, this this like transcendence in my life all the time. And so they look more into what the Torah has to say and, and what the Torah says about how we lead our lives. And then all of a sudden, they discover there's 613 commandments. And they're like, what are you doing to me? What are you doing to me? I just wanted some chicken soup <laughs> and a little Friday night experience. And now you're hitting me with 613 mitzvahs? Have mercy on my soul. You know, people people just, they, they, they bug out, you know? <laughs> they don't know what to do with it. And they wonder, the rabbis, they must be control freaks, you know? You know, they want to legislate every, every aspect of my life. And, and then worse, worse... They, 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 they imagine all these mitzvahs. By the way, Reb Shlomo translated or, or defined mitzvahs. You ready for a great translation for a mitzvah? Divine pathways. Divine pathways. Each mitzvah is a different opportunity to walk along another divine pathway, another connection to, beyond, to the beyond. But people, because they haven't been taught yet, they haven't been taught yet. They, 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 they hear about that there's so many mitzvahs and they think this will be my death, meaning existential death. This will be the end of my individuality. I will cease to exist. Therefore, it's like I have to run from this as, as fast as I can, because there won't be a me anymore if I get continue to, to get drawn into this, into God's will, essentially. So, so this is not the case. And, and, and the teaching that I, I wanted to mention before, but now we're, now we've done our homework, now we're ready for it, is, is the sukkah, if, if you look at the volumes of the, of the Gomorrah, uh, Gomorrah Sukkah is, is one of the thicker volumes of the entire Talmud. And there's so many halachas, so many laws about how to build a Sukkah. So you would think that, ah, with all those laws, every Sukkah is going to look identically the same. How could it be otherwise? There's so many laws. And here's where you see the glory of Torah. 
Have you ever seen two sukkahs that are alike? <laughs> They're so, it's such an opportunity for self-expression and creativity. And again, here you get back to the counterintuitiveness of this all, which is that what looks like a structure that's going to deprive us of our individuality ends up being a springboard, right? A trampoline for us to express our individuality. And that's where you're really rocking and rolling. And that's why, another reason why this is called Zman Simchasein, or the time of our joy. Because you're really maximizing your individuality, but it's in sync with the structure and in harmony with God's will in the universe. So you've got beautiful things going on at the same time. Okay. So now, this is supposed to remind me, singing in the sukkah, supposed to remind me of the temporariness of, of my life. Now, now, what's interesting about this sukkah is, is the Ari, I heard in the name of the Ari, that he says that sitting in the sukkah is like you're receiving a divine hug. Right? So, wow, that's so beautiful. It's like a big hug from God. Okay. And I love that. That's, that's awesome. Right? But if that's the case, then... And by the way, the first letter of sukkah is a samach, which is a circle. So you really see it expressed in the word itself, this idea of being completely enveloped. Right? So... That's the four wolves. That's the four wolves. Okay. So with that in mind, there's something very challenging, which is that a, all a sukkah has to have in terms of its walls to be kosher is two walls, not four, two, and then a little bit, a tefach of, of a third wall. So, so now that's something that, that really sort of like hurt my brain for a while, <laughs> which is, you know, if, if the whole idea of a sukkah is that you're sort of enveloped in God's love, it's, it's a hug, right? Like, like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you know what a real shvach, like shvach, that's Yiddish for like, not so much, right? You know what a real shvach hug is? Have you ever gotten a hug where someone puts just one arm around you, right? That's a shvach hug. Right? Now, I'll tell you what's even worse than that, where they give you one arm around you, and then while it's around you, they're patting you. <laughs> so you don't, even, you don't even get that one arm, right? So, so it seems like, it seems like the, the idea that a kosher sukkah has two walls and then a little bit of the third, just a little bit of the third, sort of undermines this idea of being enveloped. Now, I'll tell you the answer that um, I've had for a while now, and then I'm going to give you a new answer from today, okay? So the answer that I had from a while ago, which, which I like, by the way, I think that this is true and, and, and God willing good, is that imagine now you're sitting in a sukkah with two walls and just a little bit of a third wall. You're sitting in one of those things, right? But the concept is you are being enveloped. 
And so based on that, what I'd like to say is that this is to teach you that even when you don't see God's presence in your life, he's very much there and he's very much embracing you. Okay, I'm going to say that one more time because it's important. How could it be that the whole idea of a sukkah, which is supposed to surround you, could be kosher with just two walls and a little bit of a third wall? And the answer I'm suggesting is to teach you that even when you don't see God's presence in your life, nonetheless, he's very much there and he's very much embracing you. Okay, so now let's hear something new. Remember, the idea of sitting in a sukkah, of the whole, the whole holiday of sukkahs, which we're just learning about in, 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 in the Parsha that we just read, that's why we're talking about it now, um, is Zman Simcha Senu, the time of our joy. And, you know, it seems a little bit curious because if it's supposed to remind us sitting in a sukkah of the temporariness of God, or not the temporariness of God, God's eternal, but the temporariness of our life, the temporariness of this world, why would it bring me joy? And now listen to this. Because, you see, when you're sitting in that sukkah, two walls and just a little bit of a third wall, you know what's so clear to you? That this world goes beyond what you can see with your eyes. There's an opening in this world to the next world. And that's why I'm so joyous, because I'm not trapped in this world. You see, if al pi halacha, according to halacha, it'd have to have four walls, which it doesn't. But if it had to have four walls, and the sukkah stands for this world, you know what message that sends on one level? I'm trapped in this world. I'm stuck in this world. I'm stuck in this body. But you know something? When I'm told that the halacha is, that a sukkah is only two walls plus a little bit of a third wall. Do you know what I see right now? I see an opening connecting this world and the next world, my life in a a body, and my life outside the body that goes on forever. There's a giant opening. Okay, and now we can see how we can apply the teachings of Sukkot all year round. Because again, what gives me that power to see that, what gives me the power to open my eyes, to tell me that I'm not in a cave, that I'm at a party, right? What gives me the power to open my eyes is expanded consciousness. And the direct route to expanded consciousness is joy. And when I have joy, I realize everything is forever. Not my temporary circumstances, but the beyond, the beyond, the beyond, the beyond, the beyond. Okay, I want to explain it further. I want to go deeper, okay? You see, I heard from Rabbi Green one time, should live and be well, that 
99% of life is in your brain. See, this is really the power of positive thinking. Because you have the ability to understand the reality that's there, or you can superimpose your own version of the truth on top of the reality that's there and just live that reality instead. Well, the greatest of all worlds is if the reality, the actual reality, is fantastic. And that's actually the case. We're actually living in this fantastic world. But you you have to arrive at that. You have to see through all the diversions of this world to tap into that reality. Now, I'm going to tell you what I think is the ultimate secret. The ultimate secret to all of this. Because you say, well, okay, so through joy, I can get expanded consciousness. And through expanded consciousness, I can see that this world is not limited to what my eye sees. But I see it goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. But, but how do I generate that joy, right? Like my favorite, um, my, one of my favorite jokes of all time, Steve Martin said, okay, I'm going to teach you all how to be a millionaire and not pay taxes. Okay, first, get a million dollars. <laughs> so it doesn't tell you how to get the million dollars, right? That's, that's kind of the joke. And then he, he, kind, of, he kind of goes on. But... It's sort of like we're saying, okay, here it is. Be joyous, and through joy, you will attain expanded consciousness. So, but how do I get joy? That's the million dollars. How do I get joy? I'm miserable. So, here's the secret. You ready? And it's something that we've shared over and over again, but I can't emphasize how essential this is. It's the key to everything. Okay. Here's how you can be joyous. You ready? By understanding that God is good. If you understand that God is good and that everything is for the good, whether you understand it or not, even if a person has for shalom and God should save us all, is suffering. If a person can understand that the only thing that comes down from God is goodness because God himself is good, then you can begin, then you have a foundation to build all of the levels that we're talking about right now. But it all must begin with that foundation. And if you have that foundation, there's no limit to the joy that you can generate at any moment. Okay, now I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories that connects with this, okay? We're going to do a couple of teachings off of this. And this is, I'm going to read you from from one of my favorite stories uh, from Rebbe Nachman of Breslov, The Sophisticate and the Simpleton, right? Like, people think, uh, people think that, like, like I, I love to quote Steve Jobs, simple is hard, folks. People think simple takes less of a brain. Simple takes more of a brain. What's, what's so, 
Because ultimately, God is one. The whole world is one, right? So, so, so there's an, it's very complex. The world is very complex. The world is very mysterious. But it all exists within the oneness of God, which means that there's an ultimate simplicity to everything. And then if you just access that, you don't get so worried about the details. You just access, there's one God, He's intimately involved in my life. He's good. All of a sudden, you're a freaking genius. Do you understand? (laughs) But how did you become a genius so fast? Through simplicity. (laughs) That's the beauty of this. Okay. So now, remembering what uh, Rabbi Green said, that 99% of life is in your brain, listen to the following thing. I'm going to read it because... I don't want to um, misquote Rabbi Nachman, okay? So he's talking about this this quote-unquote simpleton, but he's really a very great person, but he's very simple. Um, and and it says throughout his life, he was always very happy. By the way, if you if you want to find where I'm reading, this is um, in uh, the stories of, let's see if I can get a good picture of that. It's getting all distorted. Uh, Rebbe Nachman's Stories by Rabbi Ari Kaplan. It's on page uh, 168. Okay. Throughout this, he was always very happy. He was filled with joy at all times. He had every type of food and drink and clothing. Now, remember, he was very poor, so he didn't have every type of food and drink and clothing. He had basically nothing, okay? Nonetheless, Rebbe Nachman says he had every type of food, drink, and clothing. He would say to his wife, my wife, Give me something to eat. She would give him a piece of bread, and he would eat it. Then he would say, Give me some soup with groats. And she would cut him another slice of bread. He would eat it and speak highly of it, saying, How nice and delicious this soup is. He would then ask her for some meat and other good food. And each time he asked, she would give him a piece of bread. He would enjoy it very much and praise the food very highly, saying how well prepared and delicious it was. It was as if he were actually eating the food he had asked for. Actually, when he ate the bread, he would taste it in any kind of food he wanted. This was because of his simplicity and great happiness. He would also ask his wife, My wife, bring me a drink of beer. She would bring him some water. But he would praise it and say, How delicious this beer is. (laughs) Give me some honey wine. She would give him water. And he would speak highly of it. Give me some wine or other beverages. Each time she would give him water, but he would enjoy it and praise the beverage as if he were actually drinking it. The same was truth of clothing. Between them, the only outer garment he and his wife had was a sheepskin coat. Whenever he wanted to go to the market, he would say to his wife, give me the sheepskin. And she would give it to him. When he wanted to wear a fur coat to visit people, he would say, my wife, Give me my fur coat. She would give him the sheepskin, and he would enjoy it and praise it, saying, What a nice coat this is. When he needed a kaftan, a bekasha, to go to shul, he would ask her, My wife, give me the bekasha. She would give him the sheepskin, and he would praise it. What a nice, beautiful kaftan this is. Similarly, when he needed a silk coat, she would also give him the sheepskin. He would enjoy it and praise it. What a nice, comfortable silk coat. This was true no matter what happened. He was always filled with happiness and joy. 
So that that is an awesome teaching. That's an awesome teaching, and it tells you how everything is in your mind. Everything is in your mind. And he, whatever he experienced, because he had expanded consciousness and joy, he was able to participate in the goodness of all these things. Okay, now I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. Let's, let's go back into the sukkah. Right now, I understand the sukkah. Now, by the way, just, just to be clear, because I got so excited about two, two and a half walls, I was thinking, what am I doing with a four-walled sukkah? I have to build a two-and-a-half-walled sukkah this year. <laughs> okay, don't go crazy. If you got four walls, build four walls. Because <laughs> you have this idea of hitter mitzvah, beautification of a mitzvah. And to beautify the sukkah, you'll have four walls. But the halacha drills down and he gives you the DNA of a mitzvah. So from the DNA, we can learn about the essence of a mitzvah. And so since the DNA of a sukkah is two and a half walls, we see this opening to the beyond, this opening to eternity. Okay? Now what that means is, remember, sukkah is the time of simcha. Through simcha, through joy, you expand your mind and you also expand your notions of reality. You expand your understanding that this world is an entranceway to the next world, to eternity. Okay, now this is the key point, and we're going to concentrate on this for a while. This world is not cut off from the next world. This world is just the outer chamber of the next world. And the door between this world and the next world, like the sukkah, like the two and a half walls of the sukkah, the door between this world and the next world is open. What that means for us, practically speaking, practically speaking, is that blessings can come down all the time. You can live with expansiveness, knowing that you live forever, right? You can already be receiving the next world while you're in this world, right? You're, that's, that's what it is. There's a divine opening between this world and the next world, and you can experience it. Like, can you imagine all the sweet water coming down? You can drink that water in this world while you're still in this world. But you can only do it if you're in a place of joy. So, so there's a very interesting uh, verse from the Psalms. And, and the rabbis like it so much that it's dotted, this four-word phrase is dotted throughout the Siddur. Like they like to throw it in, like in a lot of different places. And you'll see why in a moment. Because it touches on what we're talking about. It's Yismuchu Hashemayim Vitagel Haaretz, which means basically the heavens will rejoice. Yismuchu, you hear the word Simcha in there? 
Yismachu HaShemayim, Shemayim is heaven, the, the heavens will rejoice, Tagel. Tagel is another version of Gila, Gila is another word for happiness and joy, Haaretz, that means the earth. So, so heaven's going to be happy, and earth is going to be happy, basically, okay? Now, one reason why the rabbis like this phrase so much is listen to the first letters of these four words, okay? You probably can guess what's coming. Yismachu, Yud, Hashamayim, Hey, Vitagel, Vav, Haaret, Hey, Yudke, Vavke, the name of Hashem, right? So the name of Hashem is the first letter of this phrase, which is, the heavens are happy and the earth is happy. Meaning to say, exactly what we've been talking about right now. If you want to make a pathway from the heavens to the earth, if you want to make an opening while you're still in your body, while you're still in this dimension, but you want to open up a pathway between heaven and earth, Yismachu HaShemayim V'tagel HaAretz, it's all through joy. Because joy is expansion. You're expanding the borders of this realm, right? And opening it up so that it's contextualized, so that it's one with the, with the, op- with the total reality. Okay? So, so this, is, this is big. This is big. You see, now, just to return to one of our opening questions, why joy is more than just walking around with a smile on your face. (laughs) You're literally opening up a portal between the heavens and the earth and bringing down all of this, like, delicious, delicious light, delicious energy. And you're able to actually live in the next world while you're in this world. This is, this is amazing stuff. Okay, now I'm going to tell you something. We're going to apply it in a more personal way. Okay, this has all been personal. But I want to tell you an awesome Torah um, from, from, uh, from, from, uh, from Rav Frimmer. And remember, Rav Frimmer was the, the Rosh Hashiva of um, Hachmei Lublin. This was the, the greatest yeshiva in the world. Uh, in its day, this was about a hundred years ago, and and I want to thank everybody who 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 contributed to our campaign for um, to republish his savor. It's been out of print for for a long time already, and there are many many people who who don't know about this this awesome awesome tzaddik. So I'm telling you a Torah from him, amazing Torah. Now let's do a little um, kabbalistic uh, anatomy, okay? So. So your heart has different chambers to it, okay? Remember, the heart is really the key. And um, as we've gone over it many times, basically, how you think about things really depends on, basically, I'll I'll really put it in, in, in simple terms right now. How you think about things is what kind of mood you're in. You know, like... Like, and I think everyone understands the, the reality of that. Like, like have, you, you must have been in a situation like this where it's been true about you or about someone else, where someone's just being nasty, 
And then they say, I'm sorry, I'm just in a horrible mood. Right? So in other words, their whole, the words that they say and, and the way that they're thinking about everything is influenced by their mood. Right? So that's a very simple way of saying the following. That where, where your heart is, that the heart directs the thoughts of the brain. Right? Now we're told that because the, the heart is an awesome place, the heart is connected to the heavens. But, but it doesn't mean that everything that comes from the heart should direct the brain. <laughs> because the heart is also capable of thinking of all sorts of nasty stuff, you know, like, ah, right, that's, it's, uh, I want it, you know, so all sorts of, what we say in Torah, we use the word taivas, all sorts of overwhelming desires also are centered in the heart. So then that's where the brain kicks in. So the brain has to make sure that it's, it's, it's ruling over the heart, right? But anyone who's wise will understand that that what the brain is also thinking is coming from the heart. So if you can get your heart right, right? If you can fix your heart, then you're going to think good thoughts and you're going to see the world in a beautiful place, in a beautiful way. So what is this Kabbalistic anatomy of the heart? Well, it's going to be a little more um, detailed version of what I just told you. The right chamber of the heart, they say the Yetzer Tov, is there. The Yetzer Tov, that's the positive inclination. The left side of the heart is sort of the headquarters of the Yetzahara, the negative inclination. So isn't that interesting? So you've got, your heart is actually divided. Okay? And that's why... Where's the pen? That, that's why... Oh, if you could just mute yourself, please. And, and that's why um, it, it says... That's why it says... Um, in the Viahafta, Viahafta es Hashem Elokecha. Bechol Levavcha. So, yeah. Bechol Levavcha means actually with all of your hearts. You see? Bechol Levavcha. It doesn't mean with all of your heart, but it says love God with all of your hearts. Okay, and and why is that? Because we know that that we've got really two main aspects to our heart: this positive side and this negative side. Okay. Now again, we said that a lot of desires come from the heart, and and so those are things that, you know, that's going to go up to the brain, and then hopefully the brain is going to have the good sense to keep us on the on the right track. All right. Now with that in mind, listen to this awesome explanation of these verses from Rav Frummer. Again, the Rosh Hashiva of Hachmei Lublin. Zecher Tzadach Lebrucha. Okay? So this is, if you want to see where it is, it's in Parshas Re'eh, uh, chapter 12, verse, verse um, 20. Okay. So, wait, wait, wait. So it says, when Hashem, your God, will broaden your boundary as he spoke to you, and you say, I would eat meat, for you will have a desire to eat meat. To your heart's desire, you may eat meat. Okay. 
So, so what is that? What's going on there? Let me read that to you one more time. Because it, it sounds like probably like, how does this connect to anything we've been talking about? But, but we're going to hear something very beautiful. When Hashem, your God, will broaden your boundary as he spoke to you. Now, we're talking about there, we're talking about the, the, the boundaries, the borders of Israel. Okay? That's on the most uh, shot level, the most literal level. When Hashem, your God, will broaden your boundary as he spoke to you, and you say, I would eat meat, for you have a desire to eat meat. To your heart's desire, may you eat meat. Okay, so what Rav Frummer says on this is that when God will broaden your boundary so that you can eat meat to your heart's desire. Now, generally speaking, you see, we have, um, we have something which uh, the Ramban most famously points out, uh, which is very important for us to know which is that a person can be a glutton and still eat glot kosher, right? Imagine you're getting the most kosher meat in the entire world, like the biggest, strictest rabbi in the entire world would eat this meat, right? But what happens if I take this meat and I have 14 hamburgers for dinner? <laughs> That's gluttony. That's too much. The, the question isn't whether the meat is kosher or not. It's how am I, what is my relationship with my desires? And a person can just have too much. That's, that's, that's where the left side of the heart, the desires of the heart, start to kick in, in a negative way. So now look what Rav Frimer is saying. When Hashem, your God, will broaden your boundary as he spoke to you, so here it is. Here it is. He says, when he says, God's going to broaden your boundary. You know what? You know what we're talking about on a deep level? When God takes the right side of your heart, where your positive desire is, and he broadens the boundary so that the right side now inhabits the left side of your heart as well. <laughs> Did you hear that? Did you hear that? It's fantastic. It's fantastic. You're not stuck with a good right side and a bad left side. You're not stuck. The right side of the heart, the boundaries can be expanded so that it fills the left side of the heart. Now what happens? What's going to happen once once you, you've got the right side on the left side, he says that you can then eat meat to your heart's desire. Because now what you've done is you're going to turn Gashmias, physicality, into Ruchnias, into spirituality. Meaning to say those hamburgers that you're eating now with the left side of your heart because your borders were expanded. Those, those desires that you're now manifesting for the physical, you're going to be able to uplift the physical in the most magnificent way. And the physical enjoyment that you experience is going to be counted 
as serving God in the deepest, most beautiful way. See, one of the things that that um, that people have to understand about Judaism is that we're into pleasure. But pleasure is like what you might call in, 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 in chemistry an unstable compound, right? Pleasure is this like constantly mutating kind of force. And it's very, very hard to gain control over it. Rabbi Nachman said one time that the three forces that human beings have been struggling since forever, food, sex, and money, right? And a lot of desire, a lot of pleasure are associated with those three things, food, sex, and money. So very hard to, 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 to master those aspects of life. But the idea that they can be mastered and that when we master them, when the, when the boundaries of our heart expand, then the pleasure that we derive from these things is a blessing, is a total blessing, and is total, divine, beautiful, awesome service to God. The whole idea that sort of like, oh, the things of this world, cast them aside, it's not so Jewish. But you've got to do Judaism right in order to realize how to interact with these very sort of like, you know, stormy, stormy aspects of this world and stormy aspects of our own nature. Okay. Okay, so uh, I think we'll we'll wrap it up here. Uh and uh, and just let's just uh, just summarize. Joy, joy is the ticket. Joy makes you realize that there's an opening between this world and the next, and then you can inhabit and experience the next world while you're still in this world. And if you want to figure out how to get to this place of joy and expanded consciousness, it all begins with understanding the goodness of God. That is the foundation. That is the foundation. And remember, if you say, I'm desperate, I'm desperate, I'm desperate to know that God is good, but how can be God be good amidst my suffering? So this is, this is, the, hardest, this is the hardest part about being a human being. This is the hardest part about being in this world. Um, but for me, I can just tell you, for me, the most awesome teaching, and, and it's just one of these Kash Torahs, is from the Kutzka Rebbe that says, he said, I would never serve a God I understood. I would never serve a God I understood. I would never worship a God I understood. Why? So here's my understanding of it. Because if you completely understand God, then you're also God. So what do you need God for? In other words, one of the premises of God is that we don't understand him. <laughs> Which is, in other words, once God is completely understood, God ceases to be God because at that point you're also God. So, so we have to, in our humility, understand that we're just never going to understand the entire thing. But that doesn't lessen the goodness of God. 
Okay, I, uh, I'm just sending out lots of love and uh, just blessings for joy, blessings for healing, blessings for Parnosa, blessings for Shalom Bias, blessings for good friends, blessings for experiencing just the light of Shabbos all week long. And um, I'm going to sign off and I'm going to just, uh, maybe I'll take two questions and then I'm going to hand it off for, for the discussion. Um, does, uh, does anyone... Does anyone have a, 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 a question? Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.